growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If macroevolution is true, then God's Word is wrong. And if God's Word is wrong, you and I have a whole lot bigger issues to worry about than whether we came from a monkey or not. Evolution. For more than a hundred years, it's been proposed as a natural explanation for life. Many people consider evolution as an established fact. But as we'll hear today, that is far from the truth. Cut through the smoke, get down to what they're actually saying and the evidence they're actually presenting, and you determine for yourself whether what they're saying, first off, is real and whether it's rational. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our series entitled Deceptive Cons, More Than Meets the Eye. It's a study designed to look at some of the most popular deceptions that are being used in the world today to con men and women out of the relationship with God that they were meant to have. There's an enemy in the world who is seeking to deceive any and all that he can. There's a con that he is playing on the world to keep people from experiencing everything that God desires for you to experience in your life. Well, today, Pastor Clay is taking on the truth about evolution. Certainly, secular scientists tout this theory as an established fact. But as we'll hear today, somebody's being conned. Now, here's Pastor Clay. What is the deceptive con? Let me read a passage of Scripture to you. We've looked at uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Uh, the first three weeks, and it's kind of the theme of this whole series, really, tell you the truth. Today I'm going to read Romans 1, 23 through 25, and, uh, and then we'll look at the deceptive con here. It looks like this, uh, or let me actually begin in verse 2. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds. And four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That passage of Scripture, I said, verse 25 particularly, is the theme for this entire series. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They've been deceived. They've been conned. And they bought that lie, just as Eve did all the way back in the garden, just as Adam uh, tagged right along with her. They've bought that lie. And, and mankind, you and me, uh, have been deceived ever since. There are influences in the world. There's an enemy in the world who is seeking to deceive any and all that he can. There's a con that he is playing on the world. His objective, to keep people from experiencing everything that God desires for you to experience in your life. So keep this in mind. The deception doesn't necessarily have to be only for unbelievers. Certainly there is a, a vast deception uh, being deployed on unbelievers and keeping them from understanding who they are in Christ and the relationship that they can have with Him and the redemption that He paid. But even those of us as believers, we can be deceived if we're not careful. Uh, the, the deceptive con that we're looking at today is this. Everybody knows that evolution is true. Uh, that is a verbatim quote of my oldest son's Fourth grade, uh, fifth grade English teacher. I have no idea how it came up in English. I don't remember. I just know that he came home and told me that somehow they were in this discussion. And he said that he believed that God created the earth. And that he was, that, that's, that's just what he believed. And no, nothing anybody said would change his mind. Uh, to which uh, she responded, well, everybody knows that evolution is true. Well, 
I want to explore that idea a little bit uh, today. And it's important to explore this idea. Uh, now, and let me begin with this. Maybe I need to, need to preface uh, looking at some arguments uh, here by, by saying a couple things. First, it's very important to define what we mean by evolution. Okay? You with me? I know this is going to sound like a science lesson today, but our great creator is, is not only the great physician, he's the great scientist. He's got it all figured out. He's got it all. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to sound like a science lesson, but, but it's important. It's pointing us uh, toward who our creator is. It's important to define uh, evolution. If by evolution we mean uh, adaptation and changes within a species, then I think that all of us here... Could, could agree, yes, that's absolutely true. There are thousands of examples of that. And so in that sense, evolution is true. Any change with, there's been changes, there's been adaptations within a species, so that species uh, has taken on some of these characteristics, that, that is true. That is what is known as microevolution. Adaptation and changes within a species. And I don't think any rational person would have a problem with that understanding of evolution, micro, change within the species. But if you are defining evolution, as is usually done, if you are defining evolution as, as changes, as, well, first off, as non-life becoming life, and by a series of, of random selection, random chance, and mutations, that life um, received new genetic material so that it became an entirely new species. You with me? That is an entirely different thing, ladies and gentlemen. That is what is known as macroevolution. Macroevolution is the development of completely new and different species as a result of natural selection. It's also known as uh, Darwinian evolution um, and also neo-Darwinian uh, evolution. It, it is the idea that through natural selection or through mutations, uh, changes occur uh, over long periods of time to such a degree that uh, one species changes into another species. Okay. So how you define evolution is important. What I'll be talking about today, if, if, even if I, I may just say evolution, I'll try and say macroevolution, but what, what I'm talking about today is macroevolution. Microevolution, no question about it. Evidence is obvious. Uh, micro, uh, macroevolution, that's a different story. We're talking about changing from one species into another. So how you define it is important. The other thing to keep in mind is to recognize that the Bible has no contradiction or no conflict with the first understanding of evolution, microevolution, adaptation and changes within a species that in no way contradicts or conflicts with any, uh, any passage, any uh, principle of Scripture at all. But when you begin to talk about macroevolution, you, you, you find that there are definitely some conflicts and contradictions in Scripture. And so that's a whole other ballgame. So if you happen to be sitting here today, and the, and the reason I bring this up, if you're sitting here today or you're listening to this message and you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? Couldn't God have used evolution uh, to bring his creation around? Couldn't, couldn't God have done that? Couldn't he have used evolution? Well, 
A couple th- things to keep in mind uh, with regards to that idea. Because some of you are probably sitting here thinking, well, okay, maybe God used evolution to do it. A couple things to keep in mind. First, you need to understand that by its very definition, the point of macroevolution is that no God is needed to explain our existence. Do you understand? By, by very definition, it says through, through pure random chance and, and natural selection and mutations, all naturally explained, life began and life came to existence and then life evolved over a series of billions of years. Life evolved and you know, went from a, uh, an amoeba to a man and, and that's, that's how we got here and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's very definition is that we don't need a God, which by the way, I think explains the popularity of that theory in our Western culture today. You see, enlightened man, so-called enlightened man has been trying to get rid of God for a long time, ladies and gentlemen. And let me just say this, uh, obviously, you, they can't get rid of God. He's here and he's got his plans and, and we saw it throughout the book of Daniel. He's going to accomplish his purposes. But let's be honest, to a very large degree, in one sense, they've been very successful at getting rid of God in our culture. Would you agree with that? God has been eliminated from our political system. And, and I don't care what your political persuasion or party is, you'd have to admit what a mess we've got with all that. He's been eliminated from our judicial systems. He's been eliminated from our school systems. He's been eliminated from our homes. He's been eliminated from the very moral fabric of our culture. So as a result of that, personal morality, and I talked about this last week when we looked at the moral argument, but personal morality becomes the only morality that matters. What I want, what I think, what I like, what I want, that's, that's the only thing that matters because, I, because it's just me. And that's the whole point of of the theory of evolution. Let's get rid of God. We don't need him anyway. We're man. We can do what we, here's how we got here. We can do whatever we want. So there, there, there ought to be an issue there. If you can say, well, what's, couldn't God have just used ev- evolution? Well, evolution says no. And you got a problem with the scriptures. In Genesis chapter one and chapter two, for instance, let me give you a couple examples. Genesis chapter one, chapter two, which re- records the creation uh, account that God gave. Uh, for instance, it says in, in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about the fact that God created the earth and the trees and the plants before he created the stars or even our own moon or sun. Macroevolution would say exactly the opposite of that. So we've got a conflict. And they can't both be right. Right? So if, if you're thinking, well, couldn't God have just used evolution? Not according to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created all of the kinds of animals and creatures and plant life. God created all those kinds at one time. Adam named all the animals. Macroevolution says that through a series of processes, by random chance, mutation, whatever all you want to say, that over a series of billions and billions of years, uh, an amoeba got some gills and it became a fish and then it crawled up on land and it started crawling around and birds came in there somewhere. And, and, and I'm, I'm trying not to be facetious, I'm just trying to condense. Um, and out of that, somehow we, we got to man, eventually. I mean, that's the idea. So we, we, we got to, to man. So there's a direct conflict there. God said, I created them all at one time. Macroevolution says it took billions and billions of years for a process of natural selection. They can't both be right. 
Okay, all right. Let's, uh, so, so just keep that in mind when you begin to say things like, well, maybe couldn't God have just used evolution? You'd understand that, that there, oh, oh, and by the way, it's not just, Gen- I should say this, it's not just Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that conflicts with this. You want to say, well, you know, let's just throw Genesis out. I mean, that's just not, maybe that's just a fairy tale how, how that all began. Apostle Paul apparently was not up on the latest scientific studies either because look at this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Apostle Paul says, when, watch, now listen, listen to this now. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Would you say that next phrase with me? Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Clearly, as I said, Paul was not up on macroevolution. Because Paul clearly says that there was no death in God's creation before Adam sinned. Macroevolution says that there would have been trillions and trillions of deaths as, as one life form came along and eventually it, it evolved into another life form and that life form. And before we got to the first man, trillions of deaths would have occurred. So we, we better throw out what Paul says. But he says, Paul, anyway, most people don't like him. Oh. Oh, yeah. Jesus. I knew he was going to come up somewhere, didn't you? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 19, confirms a literal Adam and Eve who God created, formed, blew into their nostrils the breath of life at the very beginning of his creation, or on the sixth day, but during that creation process. So... So if it's true that, that you know, da, 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 on until man showed up, then Jesus was wrong. And if, do we even need to go down this road? If Jesus was wrong, then he's not perfect. If he's not perfect, then he can't be the, the substitute atonement for our sins because it had to be a perfect sacrifice. So, we, so all I'm saying, folks, is we've, we've, got a, we've got a problem here. If macroevolution is true, then God's word is wrong. And if God's word is wrong, you and I have a whole lot bigger issues to worry about than whether we came from a monkey or not. Okay. Uh, let's, let's look at a few of the arguments. Let me say this about the arguments. It, it's just a sampling, and I'm not even going to finish them all today. Uh, I'm going to finish them this week. Actually, I'll, try, I'll write a, another pastor's perspective that half of you will read. And, and in that, when you do, I'll finish the rest of this argument, because we've got to move on. I can't, I can't spend any more weeks on this argument. We're going to have to move on from this argument. But I do want to give you a few more, uh, uh, a bit more ammunition for you to think about and deal with when you're discussing this uh, with people. So it's just, a, it's just a sampling of it, and I'm quite sure that I will not deal with this subject matter to everyone's satisfaction. Uh, let me also just say that when I raise these arguments, okay, when we raise these arguments, evolutionists do not... They do not sit back and go, huh, well, I guess you're right. God made us. They don't, they don't do that. But what I'm saying to you is uh, a macroevolutionist, they have responses to arguments that are, that are raised. What I challenge you to do is simply, is simply cut through the smoke, cut through the mirrors, get down to what they're actually saying and the evidence they're actually presenting and you determine for yourself whether what they're saying, first off, is real, whether they're actually telling the truth as, as it is observed, and whether it's rational or not. So, so I'm not sitting here trying to tell you, case closed, here's the arguments, and, and they don't have anything else to say about that. We just shut them up. Evolutionists, who, 
people whose heart is hard and have been trying to get rid of God from the very beginning. I'm not saying that all evolutionists are, you know, are, are rebellious against I'm just saying that that's the system they've been brought up in, and that's, that's what they know uh, to be true. And there is a deception. There's a con being perpetrated, I believe, on the world. And this is a big one, folks. It's had a huge influence, certainly in our Western culture. Okay, let's look at a few of the arguments as quickly as we can today. Let's start with this one. Macroevolution is not happening now. I, uh, no particular reason. I just started, decided to start with this one because to me it's a big one. Uh, it, it, basically, the idea is if uh, macroevolution is true and, and, and changes are, are happening within a, the species or literally changing into another species, another kind, and that's a process that's been taking place over billions of years, then shouldn't that process still be in process? Shouldn't, we, shouldn't there be millions of examples all around us all the time if, if, it's, if it's transpiring? Do you understand what I'm saying? Why are, there, why are there no observable instances of macroevolution? And I, and I emphasize again the distinction between macroevolution and microevolution because oftentimes... Evolutionists will, will use evidence of microevolution. They'll look at microevolution, they'll say, see there, that proves macroevolution. When in fact it does nothing to the, to the sort, it, in no way. Change within a species is a very different thing than saying one species changed into another species. You understand what I'm saying? For instance, we have lots of variations of, of dogs. We have lots of different kinds of, of dogs, uh, adaptations and changes within a species. We have lots of different types of cats, adaptations and changes within all the cats. We have lots of different kinds of cats. But we have no dats. We have no cogs. Uh, un- unless, unless you want to count that episode of Tom and Jerry where the mad scientists uh, had the dog and cat switch brains. And, and that, was a, that was a freaky episode. But but other than that, folks, there are simply no instances of observable, empirical, observable. And remember, the scientific method says that it must be observable or demonstrable or repeatable in a, in a laboratory setting in some sense, in, in, in some way. Uh, geneticists, evolutionary geneticists have tried for years to take uh, fruit flies and, and other rapidly reproducing uh, creatures. And they have tried to uh, induce mutations that would create a, 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 a new species as a, as a result of their work. Now, okay, I'm going to throw this in first off. It, it, if they ever succeeded in doing that, to me, that proves God, not, not evolution. Because, because it proves that it took a controlled, a perfectly controlled environment with a semi-intelligent scientist overseeing uh, the, the, all that went into creating this new... But that's a whole other thing. That aside, every attempt to do this has failed. Every single attempt to produce a new species has failed. And this is a problem for macroevolutionists. Look at this, uh, this quote from uh, uh, Jeff Schwartz, yeah. Um, Jeffrey Schwartz, a current evolutionist, he says, It was and still is the case that with the exception of Dabansky's claim about a new species of fruit fly, and notice what he says, first off he says it's a claim, apparently not even substantiated, and he says a new species of fruit fly. So in other words, it's still a fruit fly. We still haven't gotten to a new species, you understand? A new kind. 
that with the exception of Devansky's claim about a new species fruit fly, the formation of a new species, look at this, by any mechanism has never been observed. Houston, we have a problem. Because it just seems like you ought to be able to see something happen. There ought to be examples of it around us. And yet, we don't see it. What we see are very distinct kinds. We see dogs. We see cats. We see humans. We see uh, plants. Varieties within them? Yes. Okay. Um, do, I have, do I have another quote to that one, Tyler? I can't remember if I, I did or not. Oh, yeah. Ernst Mayer. Uh, he's dead now. But he was, uh, for years, he was one of the influential uh, evolutionists. He, he, he taught biology at Harvard University for many years. Um, here's what Mayer says, addressing this problem of not being able to observe macroevolution. Mayer called it uh, historical science. Historical science for which laws and experiments are inappropriate techniques. Did you hear what he just said? <laughs> he said, we, we can't see it. We can't test it. But trust us, it happened a long time ago. And look, we even got some pictures that we drew that prove it. I, I'm, I'm just, I know, I know, I can't help it. It's just who I am. But it, there's a problem, all right? There's a problem with not being able to observe macroevolution in process. It's never been observed. It's never been uh, demonstrated. Microevolution? Sure. Macroevolution? Never. Okay. Um, l- let me move on. Let's, let's go to the second one, uh, which happens to be the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics says no. Hey, why don't y'all say that out loud with me? The second law of thermodynamics says no. no. <laughs> it's also known as the law of entropy. Um, I, I got to hurry. So let me just, let, let, it's, it's a very uh, complicated law of which I'm not smart enough to decipher. But basically, here's the, here's the idea. Here's what the second law of thermo, thermodynamics teaches. You can't say thermo, thermodynamics fast. I've tried and tried. You can't say it fast. Here's what it teaches. It basically says that because of this law, everything in the universe is in a constant state of breakdown. Everything in, the, everything in the universe is moving from a more orderly position to a less orderly or less complex position. Now, this is, this is so established, ladies and gentlemen, that it is called a law. It is, the, it is a established, it is probably one of the most well-established laws in all of science. It says that everything in the universe, cars rust, muscles atrophy, our bodies old buildings left to themselves fall down everything in the universe a log pulled out of a fire uh, begins to grow cold everything in the universe because of its loss of energy is in a state of breakdown macroevolution would have you believe that when it comes to how we got here exactly the opposite of this law occurred that that things went from less complex less orderly to more complex and more orderly that is a direct conflict with this established law, second law of thermodynamics. Let, let me get uh, get uh, get to see this a quote from Isaac Asimov, who was a very leading evolutionist and science fiction writer. Uh, Asimov said this. He says another way of stating the second law then is the universe is constantly getting more disorderly. Viewed that way, we can see the second law all about us. We have to work hard to straighten a room, but left to itself, it becomes a mess again very quickly. Would y'all agree with that? Especially if, you, especially if you infuse a couple of teenagers into it. But uh, uh, left to itself, it becomes a mess again very quickly and very easily. Even if we never enter it, 
it becomes dusty and musty. How difficult to maintain houses and machinery and our own bodies in perfect working order. How easy to let them deteriorate. In fact, all we have to do is nothing. And everything deteriorates, collapses, breaks down, wears out all by itself. And that is what the second law is all about. How do you explain the second law of thermodynamics in relationship to the idea that everything is evolved. You could, you could literally say that according to the second law of thermodynamics, everything in the universe is devolving. It is going from more complex to less complex all the time. Look, uh, look at this quote uh, from John Ross. He's uh, Harvard University. He said, there are no known violations of the second law of thermodynamics. Did you hear that? Because, because let, leave that up there, because what, what happens sometimes, the, the evolutionist response to this is, well, uh, the, the second law applies to closed systems, not to an open system. And the earth is an open system, Power, energy is still coming into it, light, and therefore it doesn't apply. Asimov's quote makes it quite plain that the second law of thermodynamics very directly impacts and affects the earth. And so the fact that it's an open system has no bearing on it. Uh, Ross says... There is no known violations of the second law of thermodynamics. Ordinarily, the second law is stated for isolated or closed systems. But the second law applies equally well to open systems. There's a problem. Uh, let me give you one more quote. Uh, this is a guy named Lord Kelvin. Some of you may remember him uh, from some of your science classes. Uh, he, he's given much of the credit for the, for the modern-day formation or uh, what we see as the, the way it's written, the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, Lord Kelvin said this. He said, Overwhelming strong proofs of intelligent and benevolent design lie around us. The atheistic idea is so nonsensical that I cannot put it into words. Seems to me he did a pretty good job. <laughs> but, folks, you understand? We got, we got a problem with the second law of thermodynamics. This is an established law of science. And to, and to believe that macroevolution is true, we have to either deny the second law of thermodynamics or find some way to get around it. Which, by the way, I haven't said it yet, but neither the first nor the second argument in any way conflicts with Scripture and with Scripture's account of creation. All right. Uh, let, let, me, let me go. Let's go one more. Let's go one more. Living things never arise from non-living things. Some of you ma- uh, science majors, what, what is that called? Anybody know? That's right. It's, well, spontaneous generation is the lack of... It, it, spontaneous generation is something coming into existence without a living organism. This, this statement, living things never arise from non-living things, is what's known as the law of biogenesis. The law of biogenesis says what Andy just said there, that, that, that spontaneous generation cannot occur. That it is impossible for non-living matter to create life. Again... This is such an established fact that it's known as the law of biogenesis. Theory of macroevolution directly contradicts and conflicts with that because according to that theory, at some point, somewhere, way back there, at some point, the necessary molecules or, and energy or whatever was needed, but non-living material became living material. And the law of biogenesis says that's absolutely impossible. It's never been observed uh, it's, it's never been uh, proven, never been shown, never anything. It's an established law of science. Uh, uh, let me show it to you in, uh, I think I've got a quote from a science a biology textbook I found. As we have seen, the life of every organism comes from its parents or parent. Does life ever spring from non-living matter? 
we can find no evidence of this happening. So far as we can tell, life comes only from life. Biologists call this the principle of biogenesis. Uh, that's just three examples that we've looked at this morning, folks. But it is, they are arguments to look at. And I said, as I said, I'm not saying evolution don't respond to this and don't say things. But you have to cut through the rhetoric and listen to what they're really saying and observe the evidence and say, mm, wow. And, and like I said, I mentioned this before, but listen, when they, when they give you examples, take a look at it and say, well, that's really microevolution. That's not really macroevolution. But the point is, here, here it is, and I, I need to close. And, I, and I'll try and get the rest of this out. I've got a couple more arguments to give you this week. And, uh, and I pray that you'll, you'll read it and consider it. And, and again, as I said with the other, argue, other deceptive con, you're here and you're thinking, well, I don't, I, I don't believe in this anyway. I believe in God. Uh, but folks... Remember what Peter said? Be ready to give every person an answer of the hope that's in you. And you do understand that if you believe in the Genesis account of creation, you do understand that you are considered ignorant, misguided, superstitious, stupid. I mean, you really, you really are. And very rare is the, is the born-again believer who can, who can have a dialogue with an evolutionist and say, well... Have you ever thought about this or what about that? Because, because we don't. We don't do our homework. We don't look into things and study and try and figure out, okay, okay, maybe God didn't just use evolution to make this all happen. That, that's just an easy cop-out. But here it is. It winds up. Macroevolution says, basically, from, from goo to you through the zoo. I... God's word says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Certainly a lot of information to try to absorb today, but one thing that should have come through clear is that the theory of evolution really leaves us with more questions than it does answers. Secular man is always looking for a reason to not believe in God. And as Pastor Clay mentioned today, men have been trying to get rid of God for a long time. But the truth of God's Word stands. We're not cosmic accidents. As the psalmist said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.